Eleven-year-old Jaheem Harrell moved from the Virgin Islands to a suburb of Atlanta just a few years ago. And when he did, he found what lots of kids find when they move to new schools. Bullies. And the, the bullies at uh, Jaheem's school loved to call him names. They called him names like all kids get called. They called him gay, and they called him ugly, and they called him the Virgin because he was from the Virgin Islands, which I'm sure made perfect sense to them. Jaheem understood none of these words. He just knew the spirit in which they threw them. And it was difficult for him every day, more difficult than the one before. And he told his mother, I don't want to go to school anymore. I can't take hearing it every day, the same things over and over again. And then on April the 16th of last year, as he was about to get up and go to school, he, didn't, he, he was more than usual in his... Um, resistance towards going to school, but his mother told him, no, get your bag packed, off to school you go. And so he packed his bag and he headed off to school. As he returned that afternoon, he seemed better than when he had left. He handed his mother his grade card, all A's and B's. She was proud of him and happy for him and gave him a high five. And he said, I'm going up to my bedroom now and uh, call me down when it's time for supper. About an hour later, his sister called up to him that it was indeed time to eat, and he didn't respond. And she called again, and he didn't respond. So mother and sister went up to his bedroom, and they found young Jahim hanging by his neck, by a belt, in his closet. The oppression and the weight of the bullying was too much for this 11-year-old boy to handle. He couldn't take it anymore. He did the only thing that he could do to find a way out. The irony about enduring bullying is that the bullies are never really the strong ones, are they? The bullies are the weak ones. They're the ones who can't handle their feelings of inferiority, and so they bully someone else to make themselves feel strong. And the ones being bullied, the ones who take the oppression, are indeed the ones who are strong and, and endure it in their own lives as long as they can. In the text this morning... It's interesting the way the lectionary had us reading. It, it actually skipped three verses in the text. Three verses I'd like to read you now from, from Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 18. John has been preaching, and then, verse 18, So with many other exhortations, he, that is John the Baptist, preached the good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that he had, Herod had done, Added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. We'll find later that John is actually beheaded as well for his crimes of calling people to righteousness. Herod thought he was a great man because he exercised great power in Israel. But John, the Baptist, really was a great man. John the Baptist was a great man because he had dedicated his life to God and he had lived an ethic of holiness. Herod's only greatness was his ability to control other people, to manipulate them to do what he wanted to do, his military might. John's greatness was found in his commitment to God. Herod's greatness was only in his ruthless bloodlust. John was great because he acted nobly. Herod thought he was great because he came from noble birth. And so you see, one was truly a great man, the other a pretender. One who thought he was great but was not. And yet, as great as John was, his message was this, there's coming one who's even greater. 
The Messiah is coming and he will be great. And John tells us exactly what it is that will make the Messiah great. First of all, he says, he is mightier than me. Now, John was a, a mighty man. He, he lived in the, in the desert. He ate locusts and wild honey. I don't know about you, but anybody who eats bugs, they, they're right up there with mighty men in my book. A little sticking out of his teeth, maybe, or something like that. And, and so here's John living in the wilderness, clothed with camel's hair. His, 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 um, his garments were rough and rugged. Uh, I have a 15-year-old who thinks, you know, the rougher you look when you dress, the more manly you are. So he cuts off his sleeves and puts on flannel, and he looks really tough. Uh, this is John. He really looks tough. He wears skins of animals. He eats bugs and wild honey. But that's not what makes him mighty. He's mighty because he will stand up in a crowd and call people to repentance. He says to them, turn to God. When all the culture is going the other way, he has the boldness to stand up and say, no, this isn't right. This isn't what God has called us as God's people to do. This isn't what it means to be part of the community of faithful people that belong to God. But as mighty as he is, John says, there's one more mighty than I. Why? Why will the Messiah be mightier? Here's what I think. Because John can call people to repentance, but Jesus, the Messiah, can actually change them. He doesn't just call someone to make a change in their life. He does for them what they cannot do for themselves. It's called grace. St. Augustine of Hippo, you've heard me say it before, but I'll say it a million times more. He says, Command whatever thou wilt, O God, but give me the grace to do what you command. You know, it's one thing to be commanded. Don't do this, do that. Hear the commandments that I read just moments ago and know that we all fall adequately short, inadequate of those. We all fall way short of the goals of those commandments. How is it that we can live up to them? Not by our own strength, not by our pulling ourselves up from our bootstraps, not by working harder, by knowing that we depend upon the grace of God to do this in Jesus Christ. Christ doesn't only call us to holiness, He empowers us to live holy lives. John says, repent. Jesus says, I can change you. I can make you different people. John says the Messiah is mightier than He because He's not worthy to untie His sandals. In the ancient world, if you were, um, if you were a servant, a household slave, this was your job. You would untie the sandals of the person who came in. It was the, the most menial task that one could have. John is a disciple. He, he would be a follower. In fact, he has disciples. He has people who follow him. A rabbi, a master like Jesus. Well, he would have his servants untie his shoes, though we know that Jesus doesn't actually do that. John says, you know, I'm not even worthy to be a servant for Jesus. A servant to the Messiah. Why? Why is it that John would say this? And I think again it points back to the holiness of the Messiah. That he is one who embodies in his very life God's righteousness, God's justice, and God's mercy. I'm not worthy of that kind of person, John says. He's mightier than me. He's greater than me. Why? Because he's holier than I am. And yet, this same one calls John to be his baptizer which makes no sense to, the, to John at all.
Thirdly, the Messiah is greater than John because he is, and I think this is key, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John says, I baptize you with water. You come to me and I, I baptize you with water. And I think that that water is effective. It's a means of grace in the lives of the people. It is for them an outward sign of the washing away of the thing that they want inside. The, the clean heart, the, right, the righteousness in, inside of their being. This is an outward sign of that inward grace, as our catechism says. It is a, it is a means of grace, and yet what the Messiah brings is even better than that. He brings the ability to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, spirit baptism and water baptism are not the same thing. They may occur at the same time. And indeed, we pray that they do. But they may not occur at the same time. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit enters our lives and purifies us and does for us that thing that, that John looked forward to, that, that, that life of holiness and righteousness. Jesus has the power to baptize with the Holy Spirit. But also... He has the power to baptize with fire. John says he is cleaning his threshing floor and his winnowing fork is already in his hand. What in the world is that all about? I grew up on an asphalt farm. I don't know about you, but we, you know, an asphalt farm, it was in the city. Uh, anyway, um, I, I have nothing to do with any of this farming bit. I know, I know nothing about it, but I can read. And, and here's what I understand about ancient farmers, that they would, they would harvest their wheat and then they would put it on a, a clearing out, out in, the, in the fields, and they would have this clearing area. Is it called the threshing floor. They would take a pitchfork, and they would stick it down in, and they would throw it up in the air. And the wind would blow the loose straw, while the weight of gravity would allow the grain to drop to the ground. And they would do it again and again, and all the straw would blow off of the threshing floor, all the grain would fall down, and then they would pull it together and do what they do whatever they do, make bread or beer or whatever they would make out of it, you know, and, and, and then they would have all this uh, together. But the chaff, the, the straw, they would also gather and they would use it as fuel for a fire. John's metaphor here is very clear to the people he speaks, to whom he's speaking. He says he is, he's sorting out the wheat and the chaff. And the wheat he gathers together to himself, but the chaff he burns. It's a, it's a baptism of judgment. And that the Messiah brings not just the, the health and healing that he brings to God's people who repent and turn to him, but also judgment to those who continue to rebel. John the Baptist is a great man, but he points forward to one who's even greater, Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus the Messiah goes down to the river. And an irony of all ironies is baptized by John. Why? Why would he submit to John's baptism? I think this. I think Jesus wants to identify with us, his people. He wants to say that, that he's coming down to our level. You see, being great is not about telling everyone how great you are. It's about the willingness to be, make yourself humble, to make yourself small. And as we contemplate the ministry of Jesus that begins at his baptism, I think it points back to our own baptism. Maybe, uh, you know, you find this strange to remember your baptism. Uh, I know a, uh, a, a Lutheran uh, professor teaches at, um, at uh, Capitol there in, uh, in, in Columbus. 
And a friend of mine was telling me that he saw him walking through the, the, the chapel at uh, the Lutheran seminary and he would drag his hand through the, the, the big font that's there. And every day he did this. And my friend said it bothered me so long that one time I asked him, why in the world do you do that? And he said, to remember my baptism. My friend said, but I thought you were baptized as an infant. He said, I was. He said, well, how in the world could you remember it? He says, I don't remember it. But I remember that someone made vows for me. And I remember those vows over and over again. And I own them as my own. That's what I mean when I remember it. That I remember them as mine. Maybe you were baptized as an infant. Maybe it's been a while since you thought about the vows that were made for you. And the vows that you embraced as your own. And so today, we're going to remember our baptism, all of us. And remember those vows.